Please be seated. I wonder what your lead up to Christmas has been like. Has it been a rush? Has it been overwhelming or stressful? Or have you taken your time and feel nice and peaceful and calm about the next couple of days? I'd love to think that each one of you have listened to every single one of my sermons on the series on generosity. And the ones that you've missed, you've podcasted, and then used the uh, information and the ideas after you've thought and reflected on them as topics around the dinner table and at the coffee shops. But I don't live in a Christmas wonderland, I know. And I do know how busy and frantic, frantic and absorbing this time of year can be, particularly when chairs you order don't arrive. So I'm going to try and keep it really simple this morning. It's all about love. Everyone loves a good love story, don't they? I saw on um, TV the other morning that they've ranked the top 10 Christmas movies of all time. And number one was the 2003 classic, Love Actually. I'm sure everyone's seen it. Well, I have to confess, I have not. Yes, I was chastised after the 7.30 service, Stuart, you need to see Love Actually. It's not just a chick flick. But I was incredibly surprised uh, that in the top 10, Die Hard didn't make the list. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie. And the two movies that I'm really keen to see this Christmas are Aquaman and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I like those sort of love stories. If you've been with us over the last uh, few weeks, we've looked at hope and peace and joy through a lens of generosity. And what we've found as we've looked through this lens is a grittier and a longer lasting and a more profound version of those familiar Christmas and Advent themes. My hope is as we do the same thing this morning with love, what we might find looks much more like a DC and a Marvel movie than a chick flick. But we'll see how we go. I wrote the sermon after all. But today I want to talk about Mary. You might see around our church, um, uh, we've uh, been uh, lent uh, some amazing sculptures by um, a local artist um, who um, uh, works out of Southport, uh, which depicts Mary and child. But you'll find, if you spend time in churches long enough, that Mary can be quite a divisive figure in church life. You're either all about Mary, or you're not about Mary at all. But personally, I think there's something about Mary. I got a better laugh at this service than the last one. Thank you very much. <laughs> In the days leading up to Christmas every year, uh, we are invited 
to think about Mary's story and the role that she plays. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. If you are looking for a role model for today's age, my suggestion is that we don't look at television personalities or movie stars or sports people, that we might look at someone like Mary. But before we do, I think it's important, so you understand how amazing uh, this young woman, who, to be honest, um, historians tell us is younger than my daughter, uh, probably around the age of 14, which I know scares most parents of daughters. Um, But to understand the world in which she was living gives you some understanding of of how profound this... um, passage that we hear this morning is. According to our best knowledge and the best biblical scholars and historians, Jesus was born 4 BC. So that's four years before he was born, Jesus was born. So say the historians. So in that year was an unforgettable and a challenging year for Jewish people. Herod the Great Great died in 4 BC, and as a result, Jews rebelled all over the place. And so what the um, Roman-occupied forces did, particularly the Syrian forces uh, who were under Roman control, they crushed these rebellions, and they burnt down the city of Seperus in Galilee, And those who couldn't hide from the Syrian legions were killed, raped, or enslaved. They lost everything. Uh, The interesting thing about that story is that Separus is only four miles away from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, and Elizabeth must have known and possibly witnessed this horror. It's um, quite timely that as we reflect on this, we're hearing news about turmoil in Syria again. As far as we can ascertain, Mary was not from a wealthy or influential family. For a start, she was female, and given her likely social status, she was a nobody. A peasant girl from a small village. Her friends and neighbours see her as a disgrace because she's unmarried and she's pregnant. And to top it off, in just a few verses' time, um, Mary will learn from Simeon that being the mother of the Messiah means she will bear unspeakable grief, watching her son rejected, shamed, and crucified. Despite this, today we hear Mary's song, who, uh, which has traditionally been uh, come to know in the church as the Magnificat. Mary is waiting for the birth 
of a son. But more than that, she's waiting for the birth of something that will turn the world upside down. She's planning preemptive action. She's anticipating what is to come. She's living as if it's already happened. Mary is showing us, and this is why she's such a good role model, what it looks like when you realise that your life is about to change. What it looks like when God's generous love transforms your life. I wonder if you've ever been loved so hard that it has completely changed your life. I'm privileged and blessed to have six examples so far in my life. My parents, my wife, my two children, but the love that has turned my world upside down the most is the way that God has loved me. You see, in my self-focused plan, which I started developing from an early age of 12, that by the time I'd reached 46, I'd still be living in suburban Newcastle. I'd still live in the same house that I'd purchased with my wife as our first home, but it would have been significantly renovated to befit the standings of a CEO of a large corporation. Instead, I find myself in front of you on the Gold Coast doing the one thing I swore that I would never do. I do think uh, that genre of movies that we crudely label chick flicks have a lot to answer for, for creating a superficial view of love. I don't believe that love is about making you feel warm and gooey inside. That's what happens when you're just focusing on what makes you feel good. Which might be a byproduct of love, but love is so much more than that, particularly God's generous love. Love, God's generous love, is about turning your world upside down. And this is what happens when we seek first God's kingdom and we allow God to seek after us. And generous love is a relentless pursuit. And that relentless pursuit of humanity is at the heart of the Christmas story. And it's what we see today in Mary and in Mary's song. Christmas matters, and the love we get to understand more about around Christmas time is the most selfless, generous love that humanity can possibly fathom. And in our fathoming, I'm not sure that's a word, we still don't comprehend the enormity and the generosity of that love that God has for us. And because it's so generous and so enormous, we just can't treat it in the way that we often do by picking it up the week before Christmas and then putting it away on Boxing Day or 
if we're lucky and have a few days off, we can put it, pick it, put it away um, after New Year. You can't pick up and put down the implications of Christmas. You can't defer or trivialise its significance. You can't postpone how it affects your life. You simply, as Mary does, have to live as if it's true now. Mary realises that the blessings that are about to arrive alter everything about her present. And she believes that when God fulfills God's promises, no matter when that might happen, whether it's in nine months' time, nine years or 90 years' time, or 990 years' time, the truth makes a difference right now. Listen to this interaction between Mary and her much older cousin, Elizabeth. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favourably on me and took me away from the disgrace I have endured among my people. And so Elizabeth warmly welcomes her relative, Mary, who's found herself disgraced as an unmarried pregnant woman in her local community, now is overwhelmed by the reality that nothing is impossible with God. And so she testifies that because she has been favoured, someone who has been overlooked by the world, that God will also favour others who are lowly, others who are marginalised, others whose society casts aside. I don't know about you, but when you consider yourself as favoured, it can make you feel pretty good about yourself. I remember the very few occasions in my childhood growing up when we were picking sporting teams and I was the one to be picked first, how that made me feel. But in God's generous economy, God seems to pick the most uncoordinated, the least skilled, the ones without any equipment or any uniforms. He picks those first. And when we realise this reality, it lands us with a very difficult question to ask of ourselves. If we are favoured, and if we understand who God favours, who do we favour? I do think it is so much easy, easier to pick people around us who are just like us. It's so much easier to love those who love us back, who love those who are lo- to love those who are lovely. It's so much harder to love generously as God has loved us. To love people who we might find annoying or even offensive or even fail to supply churches with chairs just before Christmas. Both in Mary's song and in Jesus' ministry, we see the God who loves us as we are 
but who does not leave us as we are. We are lifted up. We are transformed. Before I go uh, too much further, just want to correct something that seems to be happening all over the place, and I've heard some of you say it. I confess I've said it too. It's not right yet to say Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas. The Christmas season actually doesn't start until the 25th of December. It goes all the way until Epiphany, which is the 6th of January. It's still right to say Happy Advent. I like, look, I know Advent is a construction of the church. And look, I know all the Christmas carols have been playing in the shopping centres for months. And I know all of you had your Christmas decorations way before you, you, way before you should have. And the, why, the reason you will get people like me harping on the meaning of Advent is because looking at these challenging issues really does matter. And taking the time in these few weeks leading up to Christmas to wrestle with these big issues can be a way of opening us up to the transforming love of God, which is already here and already available to us. Advent's difference means that even before that thing that we're waiting to happen, the coming again of Jesus Christ, we don't have to wait until we start living its truth. In the same way we see Mary doing today, Advent helps us to recognise that our response to Christmas can't wait. Advent reminds us that when Christmas is over, our work is just beginning. And in fact, it should have already begun. Love, generous love, is as much about anticipation as it is about response. Love's not just looking forward, and it's not just about immediate fulfillment, but finds ways to reveal God's promises to ourselves, but more particularly to others. This love trusts in God's future while at the same time insists on making God's future available and a present reality to everyone. The birth of Jesus every single year has the power to upend the world, the world as we know it now, and even and especially when the world needs it the most. Mary knows what it feels like to be lifted up when you're lowly. She knows what it feels like to be free from shame and finally distance from disgrace. She knows what it likes to feel regard when you've been disregarded. And she sees the promises of Christmas have already come true in her life, even way before she jumps on that donkey. Can you start to believe that the world will indeed be turned upside down in two days' time? Can you hardly wait? If God hasn't turned your life upside down yet, 
then my prayer for you this Christmas is that you hold on tight. Seek first God's kingdom. Give into that pursuing love of God and hold on for the wild ride that is yet to come. Can we look at Mary as more than just a historic figure, but as someone whose story can inspire us? Someone we can learn from, we can model our Christian behaviour on. Can we live right now the hope of what is to come? Can we try to love so much I know we can't love as much as we've been loved by God, but can we try our best to get close to it, as close as we can? Can we understand the depth of that love? Can we understand the generosity that holds it together? And pray that you might let your world be turned upside down and then powered by that same love, get about and get out there, turning the world and the lives of others upside down with the generous love of God. Can I pray? Generous God, we thank you for the way that you have reframed our understanding of love more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Help us to really love people hard this Christmas and love people who are hard. Help us as followers of you and as a collective group of people to be an outpouring of love in our world, not just over the next few days, but for the rest of our lives. Amen.